All right. Hello, friends. We are back with another episode of Little Bit Weebish. Um, it's your co hosts, Megan and Sam. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Yeah. It feels so good. Okay, Sam, before we dive in, I need to know the nuggets of thoughts that you had while you were watching this for the first time. Like <laughs> these past two episodes, what did you think? Um, it's very hard to take show notes and like themed notes while watching something for the first time. <laughs> yes. Um, especially with the episodes that we had to watch for recording for today. Um, I was constantly pausing and stopping. It took me like over an hour to watch two episodes because I was just like, wait, I've got to rewind that. I didn't catch what they said because I was writing something and it's just a lot of stuff going on very, very quickly, which I will give props to Attack on Titan on that. It's really mm-hmm. nice for things to go a lot faster <laughs> than it has been. So yes, like we are going to be like rapid fire dropping some truth bombs. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's gonna deliver. It's gonna be so good. And I'm like pumped mm-hmm. for you as a first timer, mm-hmm. especially because some of our first timer friends in real life are <laughs> messaging us or like well me at least I don't know what your first time friends are doing but it's so awesome to hear their reaction it's so good (laughs) (laughs) but friends literally the whole time while I was watching this you know the song like don't be suspicious don't be suspicious don't be suspicious you know that one Mm -hmm, yeah Yeah, literally (laughs) was going through my head like the entire time so yeah, here for it. Super excited. Um, let's just dive right in. Um, epi- okay, so obviously we're covering season three. We're going to talk about episodes five and six. The uh, title for episode five is Re- uh, I was going to say Reply. Wait, no, that is what it's called. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Brain, can you read today? Oh, we might have some troubles. The title is Replay. Wait, no, it's not replay. It's reply. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, you guys. It has been a long day. The title is Reply. And Sam, why don't you kick us off with our summary? Sure. Okay, so we're starting off with Erwin on his knees in in front of the royal group. Now, because I can't remember any of the royal group's names, I will just be grouping them together as the royals. Oh my gosh, same. Don't even worry, because same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he explains what he felt uh, needed to happen to keep humanity alive. He was like, this is what I feel like we need to do. And then he kind of just pauses and he's like trying to give them an opening to respond. Um, oh. And the royal group just kind of come comes back at him and says like you wanted to utilize Aaron and you wanted you took him away even when we called for like him to come in for questioning um and said that he was on trial because of the death of ooh I can't remember his name Reeves Demo Reeves yes Demo Reeves. um mm-hmm. he's on the tri- he's on trial for the death of Reeves um, and so they're saying that because of all of these things, he's treasonous. 
Um, but just as they are about to sentence him, a garrison member runs in to announce that the ar- armored titan has burst through Wall Rose, um, which is kind of a scenario that Erwin was trying to propose to them. Like, what if this happens again? Mm-hmm. Like, what if Wall Rose is broken through, just like Walmaria? And they kind of dismissed him. Um, so, yeah, the garrison member runs in, says that the armored titan has burst through Wall Rose. Pixis calls to have an evacuation plan set in place for refugees and to protect the people. He specifically says protect the people. Then one of the royals yells to shut the gates to the refugees. So he's saying, like, do not let them in. Do mm-hmm. not let people funnel through Walsina. Um, the decision has... This decision has... Pixis deemed that a coup is necessary since the alert about the wall about wall rose going down was actually a ruse set in place by him, Erwin, and the premier. And then the military announces that they are going to put a new royal on the throne, one that has that one that is the legitimate heir to the throne. Oh my gosh, such big moves. That's all I'm saying. How awesome. Yep. Um, it's just like Survivor when they're like, you got to make big moves. Oh. you got to make big moves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. Oh, my gosh. I love it. So, okay, let's dive into the theme because literally I wanted to focus on the premise of the argument between Ervin and the royals and, like, the hidden agenda of the royals, too. Yeah. Um, So despite, well, first off, the title or the theme that I came up with is called Self-Interest Versus Humanity, um, or at least the balance of both. Yes. So uh, despite finding Ervin in violation of Clause 6 of the Humanity Charter, which is one must never prioritize their own gain over humanity's survival... The Royal Committee actually violated the charter with this ruse of Walrose falling. They they showed their hand, their true agenda. Yeah. Um, they had secured their power and they were fine with the casualties and with humanity essentially being cut in half. Um, mm-hmm. Although outwardly they made the argument that oh, it's, you know, to prevent civil war, like Ervin had said, you know? Um, And also, on the flip side, Ervin fought for humanity's side, and Pixis and Premier Zachary joined in this coup d'etat so that, um, well, because they argued that humanity would be safer with them. So I want to just kind of bring this back into real life. So because... Since the beginning of humanity in real life, um, people have been looking out for number one, which is ourselves. Um, It's been an important thing for survival. But self-interest only can get someone so far. Eventually, over the course of history, we see that groups of individuals who are predisposed to cooperate, care for each other, uphold social norms, and so forth, they were able to survive and have society progress as a whole. Now, we're no longer fighting off wild beasts like, you know, the olden humanity section. Why am I having a hard time with words? (laughs) Um, 
And we're also not fighting off natural enemies like the Titans in the show. Um, but today, even, there's still this internal concern for oneself and for the concerns of others and striking that balance. So even though we have these two opposing forces of this interest of, well, this self-interest, you know, having the power and protection for oneself versus saving humanity, protecting the whole, um, we can still see that in our own lives. Um, so really, it's how can people balance those two motivations when making decisions? And to add to that, when they make decisions for other people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there was a study, Oof. I know, well, and here's Heavy. the thing, like, I know, but this is even something that is studied by actual, like, scientists and universities. There was one done at the Social Cognitive Neuroscience Laboratory at the University of Chicago, and they found evidence that people care about both themselves and others, but it was interesting because it's the self that takes precedent. So even though, um, you know, we see the royals and we obviously, watching this show, we're kind of conditioned to hating the royals. Yeah. Um, but they're actually really following close to what human nature dictates, which is that the self takes precedence over others. Um, we also got a glimpse of this from Premier Zachary when he's mm -hmm. in the carriage with Commander Ervin. And even though their argument was for humanity, Zachary confessed that he really hated those guys and that yeah. like, he just like loved to stick it to him. So even that had a self-interest involved. Um, just kind of to go off of your themes of self-interest versus humanity, um, I'm kind of going to fudge those lines a little bit and say like self-interest versus community. Um, yeah. just so that what I'm going to say kind of fits because, um, you can definitely see a direct comparison between humanity and the Titans. Humans typically, even in the show, act off of self-interest, right? But then right. you see the contrast of the Titan community on how they really focus everything kind of as a horde. I mean, if you're looking at them, um, in the way that they combat or combat, combat each other. Um, <laughs> like you see them coming in numbers. Most of the time they have one leader mm -hmm. that kind of directs the group. Um, and you kind of see how much they've thrived. Right? Oh, yeah. Kind like, of like, kind of like the attack on, um, like when the scouts were up in the woods high in the trees, they ended up hoarding mm -hmm. to get to them, you know? Mm -hmm. And ooh. Or even when Aaron gets the power, um, when they're attacking the um, armored titan, when mm -hmm. um, they're trying to get away, like you see the mass numbers just going to attack the armored titan, right? Right. They see this reliance upon their leader, but also in their mutual strength because they know that by themselves, they can't take out the armored Titan. Like he's chucking them like with all of his strength. Of course they're not going mm -hmm. to take them out alone, but they use their combined strength 
to take him down somewhat or make him flee, even though he is the bigger Titan. Oh, man. Yeah. There. I mean, there's also the incident with the Beast Titan and all the Titans surrounding Nike back in season yeah. two. Yeah. You know, that is a really interesting motive because, yeah, they do seem to have a leader or something for the most part. And they do kind of come in hordes where there's one Titan, there's usually more. They. Yeah. Unless they're an abnormal, they usually have someone close by. So yeah. that is well, very and interesting. You also have this comparison between the different ranks and soldiers, right? You have the MPs, mm-hmm. you have the garrisons, and then you have the scouts. Um, you can see very much this like group mentality for the scouts because they've realized that they can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have that kind of comparison on how much, even though their number numbers have dwindled a lot because they put themselves in more danger more often, than Mm -hmm. the other two groups Um, but you see how much they have prospered in the sense of like gaining information trying to gain territory back um being able to gain proof of titans and stuff like that versus Mm -hmm. the mps who are acting very much as individuals very much for their self-interest like looking at hitch 100 percent. yeah and yeah just looking at hitch when she kind of talks about like why do we get the grunt work you know i got Mm -hmm. in here with such and such by such and such like i paid my way in here why should i be doing this they should be doing this and it's not like oh hey we should all be doing this she's still trying to deflect off of herself um so there's just a couple different ways that we can take this self-interest versus humanity or self-interest versus community kind of look throughout attack on titan we have lots of examples yes i love that especially with the ideology amongst the different um, military sectors really Mm -hmm. love that um now i do think that commander pixis is the best example Mm -hmm. at striking the appropriate balance you know between those two those two ideologies self versus community versus humanity Um, because when he says, I was willing to put my trust in your government as long as you could prove yourselves to be the better choice for humanity, because you have acknowledged that we don't know about the Titans and the walls. Had you shown that you actually gave a damn about protecting your people you govern, I would have stood by and watched you send Ervin to the gallows. In fact, depending on the choice you made, All of us were prepared to forfeit our lives. However, you made it clear that our suspicions were correct. It's true that we soldiers know next to nothing about the Titans and their powers, but I dare say that despite this fact, humanity is safer in our hands. I feel like that just was like... Snaps. I know. (laughs) Like just... It seriously was the perfect moment to say, like, he literally went into this neutral... And then made that decision on which way he should go, um, who actually was for humanity. And so, yeah, I mean, kudos to Commander Pixis. I think he's a badass character. But um, I really do feel like that moment um, just was a great illustration of self-interest versus humanity or the collective whole. Yeah, no, I I would definitely agree 
Yeah. Sweet. Okay. And I tried to be neutral because obviously we try to like hate on the royal group, but you Mm -hmm. know, I feel like this was a good one. Um, Let's move on to what we liked. Sam, why don't you go first? Okay, so um, just kind of continuing talking about pretty much this whole episode. I love <laughs> seeing Pixis's and Irwin's plan play out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a huge gamble of Irwin's to put his trust in Pixis, um, especially with how Pixis is very schemy, like <laughs> Irwin is. Um, yeah, it's just um, he. It's just a big gamble, um, but he would rather see humanity safe instead of sitting idly by. And I really like him saying that, like, I'd rather risk my life to save who I can um, than just sit here and allow things to happen and save myself. Oh, 100%. Well, and also trusting that Pixis wouldn't just be like, hey, just so you know, Ervin's planning a coup d'etat. Prepare mm-hmm. yourselves. You know, like mm-hmm. that also took guts for sure. And mm-hmm. just trusting that. One, he could go either way, but two, he could also blab. So oh, I definitely sure. I definitely agree with that. Um, I love two things. One, I love the moment when Hanji finds Levi's group and tells the scouts that they're no longer being hunted and that the coup is a success, they're safe. They just literally jump for joy and celebrate. It was like a freeze frame moment. I like- know. Iconic. Yes. I was so here for it too, because like those moments are so rare in Attack on Titan. And even their victories are like littered with a ton of loss, like people died. So this Mm -hmm. was like just pure like happiness for them. And I just thought that was so cute. Um, Let's see. And the next one. Oh, well, this isn't necessarily a point. But I'm almost convinced that if Hanji was, like, a real person in real life, she would be a detective or a forensic specialist. Because, (laughs) like, when she's connecting these dots with the records of the Rice estate, Mm -hmm. she's saying things like, but if that were the case, and then lists off, like, three different things on, like, why that might not be adding up. And I'm like, I'm so here for it. I love the way your mind is working. And at the very least, I'm convinced that she would be a fan of true crime. Like, (laughs) convince me otherwise. That's what I'm saying here. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Um, But anyway, let's bridge to past episodes, though. Sam, I noticed you have a note. Why don't you share it? Um, so during like the scrambling moment um, of when the royal group kind of gets together when they find out that the armored titan has broken through the wall, um, one of the royalties starts stating that they have taken the power. Um, and yes. I just wanted to kind of hook that back to they are referring to Aaron's titan power, the scream. And I and I, maybe I missed this before, but I didn't realize it was called the scream. Um, yeah, the scream. Yeah, the scream. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to kind of call that out because I feel like that was a very um, weird moment, but also mm-hmm. kind of an insight as to who understands what's going on with the Titans. 
referring to it as the scream means that like other people in the group obviously Mm -hmm. know what this is and have deeper knowledge um, than even what Aaron currently has. So, well, what's really interesting, Sam, the Royals call it this, the scream, you know, because, you know, I guess we'll find out what another name for this. But um, Reiner called it the coordinate, that he's got the coordinate mm. ability. So yes. I feel like maybe people are just calling it based on what their own uh, name is for it, but other people have another name for it. That was so poorly explained, but <laughs> I think that's what it's going for. Um, but that's specifically what they're talking about. So yeah, I think that was a good call out. Okay. Okay. Well, I think we're ready for episode six. Sounds good. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. We are now moving on to season three, episode six. The title of the episode is called Sin. And now we have Megan with our summary. So Historia approaches a chained up Aaron and tells him that they will be okay and that Rod Rice, her father, has been an ally for humanity. Which makes me want to ask, is Historia so gullible or stupid that she believes Aaron is actually okay? Like, hello, (laughs) he's chained up. He literally cannot call for help because he's got this metal gag in his throat. And Mm -hmm. he's also like half naked, whereas she is like dressed in a new outfit that's white. And I'm just like, hello, this screams a cult or at least a sacrifice. Where do you think this is going, Historia? (laughs) He really is on an altar, though. Like he's up in the air on the ledge. It's it's like... It's just like the Lion King up on Pride Rock. Like, it's a big momentous place. Exactly. And it's like, hello, Historia. Are you that stupid to be like, oh, by the way, Aaron, you're okay too. It's like, you're the one who's not chained up. Like, what the hell? Anyway, sorry. But like, it shouldn't be that surprising because Historia is just like... She's cutting Rod's problematic behavior slack in the same way she was cutting Emir's problematic behavior some slack. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. this shouldn't shock me, but what the hell, Historia? I'm just having a hard time with you. Anyway, Mm -hmm. back to the summary, though. Uh, Rod Rice, before he can explain anything to Aaron, he has Historia touch his bare back, not his rod but his as an Aaron and it's at this moment we see a small surge of light within Aaron and he gets flashbacks of unfamiliar people in the very room crystally room that he's in and he sees flashes of his father an attack between two parties um another flash and he sees his younger self a syringe the key and himself transform into a titan there's blood and then we see that the young Aaron is holding up his father's glasses and screams. Then there's the unexpected side effect which is that Historia also receives these new memories or flashes of the same woman from Aaron's flashback only this woman seems happy 
and kind to Historia as a child, which then makes Historia realize that she was never alone because this woman, Frida, who happens to be her half-sister, was always with her and always visiting her. Rod explains that Grisha, Aaron's father, was the one at fault, that it was he who sinned and caused this problem. To summarize the other parts, to be a little more concise, Premier Zachary loves to torture people, and it's gruesome. Yeah, and very inhumane. And Levi and Kenny and Mikasa seem to have the last name Ackerman. And not only that, but at some point in their lives, they felt a power awaken within them. And that the Ackermans were once revered, um, but now are heavily persecuted. Um, According to my notes. Then, Levi and Hanji and the squad, they make it to Rod Rice's new chapel, where they suspect that Aaron and Historia are being held. They are ready to dirty their hands to rescue their friends. Yay! End scene! (laughs) So good. What a good episode, guys. Like, ugh. For freaking real. Um, whew. Okay, so, um, I kind of did a little bit of a, um, elaboration on the title, and I so the title today uh, for this episode is Sin. Uh, my theme for this is Sins of the Father, or I put in parentheses, or other parent figure. <laughs> it's, not, it's not all about the father. Um, but if you get the symbolism of sim- Sins of the Father, we can kind of run with it there. And I mm-hmm. felt like we had four different stories The fourth one might be a tiny bit of a stretch, but I was trying to add some more in so that we had some more to talk about. Um, But four different stories that are running around uh, people being influenced by those who were their parent figure or somebody Mm -hmm. who was an authoritative figure in their life. Um, And so we'll start off with Aaron. Um, Grisha apparently stole the Titan secret from the Rice family and killing the whole family while trying to take the scream from Frida. Um, that, that is the story that is being fed to Aaron and to Historia from that lens. Right. Um, and then Grisha tries to inject the Titan ability into his son who is then prompt, wait, and then he is then promptly eaten by said son, AKA Aaron. Yep. Um, Now Aaron's tied up and about to be what looks like a sacrifice to the Rice family, all because of Grisha's actions. I Um, mean, when you say it like that, which is exactly how Rod Rice, you know, says mm -hmm. it, it sounds like a little nice bow, like a little nice package, like, oh, it's Grisha's fault. Here you go. (laughs) You know? And so that is kind of the narrative that is being shared to Aaron and to Mm -hmm. Historia. about Aaron's father um so we see all of this stuff like and and the flashbacks that are given of Grisha right are very violent um you see him squishing kids fighting Frida's titan um manically manic manic whatever um (laughs) trying to inject Aaron with a syringe and then you see a lot of traumatic things happen. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing, you're seeing him in a very negative light and Aaron's just torn up. Mm-hmm. Aaron is torn to pieces by this. And he's like, 
it just seems like it's just this overwhelming burden because his father was like the only family family member that he had left that he thought that was alive. Yes. And that was doing good by humanity. You know? Yep, his father being a doctor. Like, he's meant to help people, not kill them. Yeah. Um, the next person, or the next storyline that I kind of wanted to follow was Historia. Now, she was almost killed because she was a legit- illegitimate child of rice. So there's one sin of the father. Uh, and it's no fault of her own that she was born out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. Um, now she's being set up as the new royal for the government, which, by the way, she still has no clue about. And that's oh. all because of her being Rod Rice's daughter. Yep. Um, again, not something that she knew about, not something that she had any control over. And now she's also being put in a crazy position to reign in. Sorry. She's put in a crazy position to get Aaron on board before the sacrifice by trying to calm him down. Mm-hmm. And like Rod is kind of using her as like this gateway into making everything oh. okay. He's a piece of garbage who is a class act at manipulating and he could write a book on gaslighting. That's all I'm saying. Mm. Um, he's a total bullshitter. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm fueled up by him. Um, but no, something that drives me nuts about him is that he is obviously using Historia. Mm -hmm. Historia doesn't realize it, but it's obvious that he's not this loving parental figure that he is making Mm -hmm. out to be because I want to point out that as he's holding Historia and blaming Grisha for the death of his family, he says, I had five children. He never included her in the number because if you look at the flashback, it's literally his wife, him, and five kids. Oh, goodness. So instead of saying, I had five other children, which would mean that he included her, it's like he just said, I have five children. He Mm. never includes her, but he is using her for this thing that he's manipulating her to do. That makes yeah. it seem like this is for the good of the Rice family and you're a part of that. He never included her. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Hate him. But sorry. I just had to yeah. inject that in. Piece of garbage. Yeah, and he just, he seems to not be aware at all of, like, what's, that he's doing wrong. And I think that that's what makes it more wrong. I mean. We see more sin in the in the non-acknowledgement of what he's doing is manipulative and terrible i mean part of me feels like he is fully aware he's just saying whatever he can to get her to do it and i mean he he must realize that he screwed the pooch by sending her off like if she was so important and if your family got brutally murdered like why would you send her off to like potentially be killed by titans and the scouts like you would protect her if you cared for her but no he suddenly realizes she's important and says oh this is something for our family and you're a part of that family now he's totally bullshitting he knows exactly i'm not cutting him (laughs) any slack no way sorry (laughs) no you're good i'm fired Um, up (laughs) the next person that i wanted to um kind of bring forth is kenny um, 
And he's supposed to be more of this servant-ish type of character in this episode, right? But I think that his story plays a really big part in kind of the sins of the father. Um, So he isn't a part of the king's personal guard. Like he knows that the Ackermans had been and should be. Um, So he wants to rise to the occasion. He wants to rise to that position in the present. He wants to restore the Ackermans to be like that right hand man and protector to the Kings, to the Kings. Um, but he's trying to figure out why the Ackermans have had such a bad reputation, why they are also destitute and mm-hmm. hunted. Um, and this is where we kind of have the flashback with him and his grandfather. And um, we see that there, that there isn't an understanding as to what the Ackermans of the past have done. Right. Because it wasn't shared. Um, and Kenny's, Kenny's future has been affected by that. His, his whole life, anybody who is an Ackerman seems to have been affected by this. Um, and all he knows is that they had too much power and the Kings couldn't control them. And so because of what has happened in the past that nobody seems to remember, Kenny's in the situation that he is. Mm-hmm. Mikasa, it sounds like, is possibly in the situation I think so that because she is in. I think so because... Levi too. Right. Because he mentioned, he's like, apparently there's a family who migrated to the Shiganshina district, mm-hmm. but they didn't change their name. So that was dumb of them. I mean, mm-hmm. who's the Ackerman family in the Shiganshina district? That's Mikasa's family. So Well, and he talks about his sister being knocked up by one of her customers in a whorehouse and not aborting that baby. And um so he's just he's just saying like all of these bad things have been happening and I think that there in Kenny's eyes has been some blame put on his forefathers and his his ancestors because of that. Oh, 100% because Yeah, I mean, how else would you, how else would you be able to, like, make sense of it all if your clan was, like, the right-hand bodyguard of the king Mm -hmm. and then suddenly just, like, persecuted to where, I mean, they're literally being hunted down, basically. Like, they're destitute. They can't really Mm -hmm. be part of society. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I can see why he would be angry at his forefathers and try to make sense of it all to see yeah. what even happened to, you know, cause this. For sure. Um, uh, the last person, and this is the one that I said that might be a little bit of a stretch, um, but is Frida. She's put in a weird position where she's getting to know her half sister because her dad couldn't keep it in his pants. Um <laughs> And she's trying to be like this nice, caring person, but she's also forced to make Historia forget. She knows that Historia is not supposed to know necessarily who her family is and why she is where she is and and all of that stuff. And if she remembers, she might start to make connections. Other people might start to make connections, right? Mm. Um, so there's this view that she is supposed to be separated from a sibling she obviously cares for. Which I feel is definitely put on Rod Rice. Uh, she's put in a very tough position. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also put in a weird position to protect her family, even though she's so young, because she has the scream. 
Yep. And she's taking, I don't know. It's just this whole, like, why, why is it that she is the one that has so much power instead of her father? Like, yep. It's just a lot. So, um, yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I know that in the following episode, we will touch on Mm -hmm. a little bit more about this succession. So I don't want to like spoil anything. Mm-hmm. But I agree. It does seem like Rod is at fault, even though he doesn't see himself to be. But it's like, mm-hmm. how come you're having your daughters, both Frida and Historia, take on this massive mantle and responsibility when you yourself seem to not desire it for yourself yeah. or not? For some reason, there's something holding you back. We just don't yeah. know. But why is it falling on your daughters if you yeah. are as good and loving and caring of a father as you claim to be? Oh, for sure. No, yeah. I, I definitely agree. Like that, red flags. Um, The next portion of our episode is what we liked. So I will let you go first. <laughs> Since I don't have something that I like. That stands out. I have something that I hate. (laughs) Oh my gosh. For real. Well, let's be honest. This episode was really hard. I was like, I don't think I have anything that I like. It all felt icky. I guess the one moment for me was that Historia learned that she was never alone. Um, You know, she was taught to read and write. She had someone to love and laugh with. And that at least was heartwarming for her, but also probably really distressing because those memories were taken from her. And it almost makes you wonder, like, how would Historia value herself and her life and just, you know, see that she mattered if she was able to keep those memories? That kind of is, it's a little bittersweet for me. You oh, know, definitely. I get that maybe Historia just, or Frida had to do this to protect the secret, mm-hmm. but it just is so sad knowing how lonely Historia felt when that was yeah. never the case at all. Definitely. No, I completely agree with you. Okay, so the thing that I hated was <laughs> the premiere's way of torture. Oh, it cringe. It made me gag. And it was just hard to watch, even though he really wasn't doing a ton in the moment. But it was just, it was gross. I mean. It made me feel gross. And if you thought that, oh, Premier Zachary, he's, I think he's the guy who was the one head, the person at the head of Aaron's trial. Mm-hmm. And then he, like, comes in to, like, swoop in and be on Ervin and Pixis' side. So it's like you feel like, oh, maybe you're a good guy. And then you see this and you're like, you are so twisted and perverse and yeah. gruesome. What is wrong with you? Like, yeah. It's really gross. <laughs> didn't love it. Didn't love it. Didn't love it. <laughs> Um, okay, so next part is we are bridging to past episodes. It looks like, Megan, you had one bridge. That oh, man. It is literally so simple. If you blinked, you could have missed it. There was the key, you guys. The key to Aaron's house. Literally, 
Like, we have no clue where it is right now. He's half naked. We don't see the the key anywhere. <laughs> so it's like, we're not even sure where it is. But in case you forgot what the whole objective was in season one, there you go. There's the key. The end. And what is the key to, Megan? It's been so long. What is the key to? The cellar! The dad cellar! <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, our last section before we wrap it up is our MVPs uh, for this podcast episode. Megan, go ahead. Well, I had to give it to Pixis. I mean, I love Pixis in general. And I feel like he's very similar to Ervin where, you know, he really is looking out for humanity. Um, but I love that he came into this neutral mm-hmm. and went with the decision to just go with whoever had humanity's best interest at heart. Like, that was the main goal. And, I mean, how he rolled out his plan was brilliant you know, the ruse, the idea to really see if the royal group would, you know, be about what they said they were about. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just think it's hilarious that all of this came from a person who isn't that fond of gambling like Ervin. So, yeah, yeah, my MVP has to go to Pixis. Well, speak of the devil, when you're talking about Erwin, I chose Erwin. Yes! Um, so, uh, what? I was just like, what a freaking power play. Like, he literally gambled his life, so we have the gambler of the two. Oh, yeah. Um, despite Hanji pointing out that there was effort by everyone and that others died to help, it's, it is hard being the face of the rebellion. Okay, everybody. Well, that wraps it up for today. Um, We just wanted to remind you that the Little Bit Weebish Patreon is live. You can find the link to our Patreon in the show notes. We have a never-before-aired trailer and a mini-weeb already live. So go check it out if you'd like to support the podcast in another way. We also would love to thank you for joining us. Our next episode will cover episodes 7 and 8, so make sure to watch both of those. Um, it's very big impact, <laughs> I feel like, from here on out. So don't, don't miss those. And we don't want to spoil you. Like, watch it. Watch yes, it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, don't forget that we're only covering two pod. Sorry, two episodes per podcast episode moving forward. So let us know if you like the change. If you would like to reach out to us, please email us at littlebitweebish at gmail.com or Instagram under the handle littlebitweebish. Thanks so much, everybody. Woo-hoo. Bye, everyone. You're the best.